0: In a way, we're starting a new series uh, coming back to the Gospel of Matthew but that we've been doing for the last uh, year or so and continuing in it. But this section of Matthew's Gospel is a section that I think is fair to call the hard sayings of Jesus. That from Matthew chapter 16 uh, to Matthew chapter 20, you really have a lot of either hard teachings or hard events that Jesus does. In his ministry that are very challenging either to the crowds or to his disciples and before getting into the study I think it is interesting to just take a moment and observe that Jesus did that that Jesus didn't just simply teach simple concepts to those who were around him he would teach hard confusing things to the crowds he would do it to his disciples as well and telling them difficult things. That were perplexing and hard for them to understand. You might remember that you have in the gospels even uh, these declarations that Jesus would teach something and the people would walk away and leave. Uh, Sometimes people would say that Jesus had a demon And even his own disciples would leave after certain teachings. And so Jesus did not have any interest in just trying to keep it simple and keep it palatable. But what Jesus was unafraid of doing was teaching the truth. And you see that in these five chapters where he really goes after some deep, hard, challenging teachings. And I'm going to encourage you as we go through this series over the next few weeks To have an open heart and have an open mind to the challenging things that Jesus is going to do and that he's going to say. Uh, The beginning of Matthew 16 is quite telling. Notice verse 1. Matthew 16 verse 1 says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came. That's not something you read. You're used to reading the scribes and the Pharisees working together to come to Jesus, but reading the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming together is highly unusual. In fact, this is the only time we see them doing something like this in regards to Jesus you read about the Sadducees and the Pharisees working together and coming to John when John is beginning his baptism, ministry, and work. And you might remember John called them a brood of vipers as they came to him. And now here you have the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to Jesus. Immediately in hearing those words, you know they're not up to any good. Verse 1 reveals it. Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees almost had nothing in common. They did not look at the law the same way. They did not interpret the law the same way. Their views about God and spirituality were different. Their views were different even politically. They were not a group that were working together but were often adversarial. And yet, they're willing to work together when it comes to trying to dispatch of Jesus. That in both of the circles, they do not like him and they are trying to do anything that they can to discredit him. And that's the scene that is before us in this first verse. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, I want us to think about this request for a moment. You're asking for Jesus to show them a sign. Has it been that Jesus has done absolutely nothing throughout the time of his ministry that here we are in Matthew 16, not five or four or three, Matthew chapter 16, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Judea, are now coming to Jesus and saying, well, what we need is a sign. Well, if you've been with us, you know that we are reading about the signs and the miracles of Jesus all over the place. In fact, back in Matthew chapter 15, we are seeing terms where Jesus is performing myriads of miracles. It says he is healing many. We has fed the 4,000 in the prior chapter. There are all kinds of signs and wonders that Jesus is doing and, and remembering that helps inform what Jesus answer to them is going to be. It's not that these groups have not seen or heard about the miracles of Jesus. They are not saying, boy, we're kind of wondering about this. You really need to prove yourself. They are testing Jesus. That's what verse one says. They are trying to put him to the test. Try to find a way to be dismissive of him. And you will notice that Jesus' answer is pretty fascinating. In verses 2 and 3, he says to them, you're able to essentially determine the signs of the weather. When it looks a certain way, you're able to know if it's going to be fair weather. When it's another way, you know it's about to storm. If you're a Floridian, you understand that. If you get that sudden, strange, cool breeze that is so rare, you know it's about to storm something bad. (laughs) You know, it's the same idea. You're able to read the signs. You look at the sky and you understand. But notice the point that he makes there in, in verse three. You're able to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Here is his point. You're able to understand these obvious signs, but you're not able to see the signs that I'm doing and draw the necessary conclusion that I'm from heaven, that I'm the Christ, that I'm the son of God, that I am who I claim to be, that I am the prophesied one, that I am the anointed one. You're able to do it for the weather, but you're unable to see it in me. I am here doing the work and you are coming to me and saying, show us a sign. It is right in front of your face who I am. And notice Jesus answer in a very simple way is you have all the signs you need. That's what verse three is saying. You cannot interpret the signs of the times. You have everything you need. All of the signs have been put before you. He has done his miracles. He has given his teachings. Everything for faith has already been put forward. Don't come to me and say, show me a sign. You have everything you need to be able to determine who I am. In fact, what he just says next in verse four struck me. Jesus says this an awful lot, and I don't know why this time it kind of hit me a little bit harder than normal, but I want you to think about Here are these people who are religious, people who know the scriptures, people who claim to be very righteous. And Jesus in verse four says, you are a evil and adulterous generation. You know, he doesn't say, well, you know, I know you're kind of a little misguided. I wish you'd kind of get on the boat about who I am. Evil and adulterous. By the way, think of adulterous. Your love is not for God. You have an alternate love. You're not with me. Your heart has gone astray. You're not seeking after God. Your heart is seeking after something else. You are an evil and an adulterous generation. And I think what Jesus is getting at is you like to act righteous. You like to act like you're truth seekers. You like to act like you're pious. You like to act like you're the righteous ones and the holy ones of God. But your heart's not actually there. You're evil and adulterous. You're actually not truly seekers of God. And I think this is an interesting picture that he gives of them because he is trying to get them to understand that you don't get to tell God what your demands are. You don't get to go up to Jesus and go, yeah, I know you've worked all those other miracles, but I would like something special for me. I know you've said a lot and I know you've done a lot, but you know, I would like something special here. Can we see a sign? And here is God going, no, that's not how that works. You don't get to come up to God and tell him your demands. You don't get to tell him I'll obey. If you, I will believe you. If you will do these certain things, here's Jesus going, I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm not going to give in to your demands. I'm God. (laughs) And an evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign like that. And I want us to see that Jesus is simply saying, you have all that you need for faith. You have all that you need. It's all right here. I've done everything you need. But what Jesus says next, I think is striking. Because he says there in verse 4, But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So though Jesus is making the point, you have all the signs that you need. You have the information. You don't come to God and say, here are my demands. Here is my request. Here's what I need for faith. Here's what I need to believe. Jesus says, there is one more sign coming. And he calls it the sign of Jonah. Now, I want you to think about Jonah for a minute. Lord willing, I'm hoping to make our Sunday morning summer series in the book of of Jonah. But let's think about his story for a little bit. Because Jonah is not a miracle worker. Isn't that interesting to think about? Here he goes, Jesus says, here's your sign. Jonah's going to be the sign. But Jonah didn't do miracles. He didn't do signs. In fact, if you know the story of Jonah in his life, you might remember he was the sign. (laughs) He was actually, he didn't do a miracle. He became the miracle. He's the one that came through the, the scene with the three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. He's not a miracle worker, but he himself became a sign for the people that he was preaching to. Here's Jesus making a connection. I'm going to be a sign. It's not about doing a sign, but there is a sign I'm going to give you in me that's going to happen. It is also worth considering that Jonah's audience was not Israel. Never thought about that? Jonah's audience is not Israel. Jonah's audience are Gentiles. There is a, a reflection here and a picture about what Jesus' sign is going to be. Is not going to be merely an Israel sign. This sign that is going to be bound up in his body. He himself being the sign. Is going to be for the whole world. It is going to be for Jew and Gentile alike. It is going to be far reaching. In fact the sign itself is going to be a defining moment. If you think about the story of Jonah. It is the Gentiles who have the overwhelming repentance. And Israel is pictured as the ones who reject. Now you might say, now where is Israel rejecting? In Jonah himself. Because he's told to go preach and he does the exact opposite. He is the rebellious prophet who is going against God's will because he knows that if he proclaims the mercy of God, they're all going to repent in that Gentile city. And so you're even getting a picture of what this sign was going to do. The sign of Jesus himself was going to be a stumbling block to Israel, but it was going to be repentance and salvation to the Gentiles. And it's not stated here, but funny enough, back in Matthew chapter 12, you might remember... The Pharisees and the scribes came up to Jesus and said the same thing. We show us a sign and Jesus answer was the same in chapter 12. I'm not going to give you a sign except the sign of Jonah. I always think of this and I go, you know, when the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together, the Pharisees could sold the Sadducees. I know what he's going to say. He's not going to give us a sign. He already told us that. No sign is going to be given to us except the sign of Jonah. And thus he elaborated on that in chapter 12 and talked about how just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and three nights. This is the great sign that Jesus was ultimately going to give was that in himself, the resurrection from the dead Was going to be the sign of all signs. It would be the sign that is supposed to establish faith. In fact, the whole Christian faith stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. It stands or falls on it. The whole foundation is on He rose from the dead. If He did not raise, as the Apostle Paul said, in short, in summary, We are wasting our time. 1 Corinthians 15. It is all about the resurrection. And Jesus points to that and says, you don't need any more signs. I'm going to give you one. It's in me. It's going to be for the whole world. It's going to cause Gentile acceptance. It's going to cause Israel's rejection. But it's going to be ultimately my resurrection. I want us just for a moment to consider and think about that important facet As we're moving closer to the death of Jesus, we're going to talk about the cross. We're going to talk about his death. We're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about the importance of that. But one of the things that Jesus does put forward for us as a final sign of himself is his own resurrection. And every person has to grapple with that one way or another. Every person has to make a decision about that. Either you believe that he rose from the dead or you don't. And if you don't believe that he rose from the dead, then you have to explain a lot. You have to explain why there are witnesses in historical accounts that say we saw him risen from the dead. You have to explain how opponents of Jesus become followers of Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You would have to explain why the enemies of Jesus, when the disciples run around saying he rose from the dead, did not run to the tomb, roll back the stone and say, nope, his body's right here. You are all a bunch of liars and lunatics. And therefore you must be discarded. They don't do that because they can't do that. You have to explain how a man began a movement that has lasted for 2,000 years if he wasn't God raised from the dead. You have a lot of explaining to do if there is not belief that he rose from the dead, that Jesus himself said, I will be the sign. I will be the way that you will have faith. And Jesus himself becomes the final sign even for the skeptic for the whole world. Now, I want you to notice from verse 5 to verse 12, Jesus wants to use this opportunity. An important teaching comes out of this. He deals with these Sadducees and Pharisees that have come to him, and, and, and they are evil and adulterous. You're trying to test me. Jesus knows that they're not really wanting to be true seekers. Your true sign, your final sign will be my resurrection. The sign of Jonah will be The key point, but I want you to notice that that you see in verses five and six that Jesus now wants to use this to teach his disciples. And in verse six, he says, watch and beware for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees He gathers his disciples together after this confrontation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says, you need to watch out for them. You need to watch out for their teachings. Beware and watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, we don't throw around the word leaven a whole lot, but that was a a term that became synonymous with the idea of a seeping, growing corruption. You might remember that At the Passover, you were to get all of the leaven out of the house. So leaven became this representation of evil or corruption. Because leaven, when you put it into the dough, begins to kind of infiltrate and begins to kind of cause that dough to rise as it seeps through. And so it became to be used even into the New Testament, like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, to describe a wickedness or a seeping evil that spreads through and permeates. And that's why Jesus uses the picture here. He doesn't just simply say, you know, you better watch out for those Pharisees and Sadducees, but you need to watch out for their leaven. Their teaching infiltrates and seeps. It's a corrupting agent that can impact you and your spirituality and your faith. Now, I want you to think about this teaching for a minute. Do you think Teaching matters. (laughs) You know, here the Pharisees and the Sadducees come and this whole scene unfolds. And then Jesus gets in the boat, verse five, and he's with his disciples. And his first thing to tell his disciples in verse six is you better watch out for their teachings. I want you to notice that he doesn't go. Well, you know, we all have our own journey and we all have our own paths. And as long as we all love God and have a kind of basic religious idea. We're all going to get there anyway. These are the religious, knowledgeable people of the day. You usually sided with one or the other. You were with the Sadducees or you were with the Pharisees and you were a part of that system. And Jesus doesn't, you know, commend them and go, well, at least they're on a good religious track. He doesn't say, well, at least they, you know, know the scriptures. He doesn't say, well, at least, you know, they get together on the the Sabbath and they remember the Lord. He doesn't say, well, it's kind of okay that we all just have this general, basic, nebulous knowledge of God and that's all right. He says, watch out. That says something. And what it says is that the teaching matters. It tells us that what somebody proclaims matters. In fact, I want you to get a sense that what Jesus is using with this leaven is the reason it's so important is that it affects the whole person. The teaching matters. What a church teaches matters. What the person standing in front of you teaches matters because it affects you. And that's why Jesus doesn't say, you go ahead, hang out with those Pharisees. At least they're really religious. Yeah. Go ahead and be around the Sadducees. They're fine on the Sabbath because, you know, at least they seem to care about God. He says, beware. You better watch out. You better be careful. Because it sounds wonderful and it sounds nice and sounds great to say, well, you know, here we are and we're all seeking after God and we're all groping in the dark and we're all just hopefully going to get there. That sounds so noble and so intellectual and yet it's so wrong. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. There's no commending of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the two biggest religious groups of the first century. He says, you better watch out. In fact, their teachings are like leaven. What that tells us is we need to scrutinize teaching. Teaching matters and we need to scrutinize it. And I will stand... On my head, Lord willing, till I die, telling you, you better not accept what I tell you because I told it to you. Don't you ever, ever do that. You compare it to the word of God and scrutinize it. And you examine it and you look carefully because the teaching matters. And it matters who you allow to teach you. And it matters the church and what they are teaching to you because he says, you better watch out because it will affect your whole body. It will affect your soul. It will affect, affect your faith and your whole uh, spirituality. And so we must then understand that we cannot affirm the validity of all spiritual teachings under the guise of open mindedness. Jesus gets in the boat, sits down with his disciples and says, you better watch out for them. They're not teaching what's right. They're not on track. They look close to God. They are teaching things from the word of God. And yet they're false. And he warns them and says, you need to be careful. Now, here's what's fascinating about here is this really serious teaching the serious moment that jesus has with his disciples on the boat and i want you to notice verse 7 and they began discussing it among themselves saying we brought no bread (laughs) here is this serious teaching jesus okay now you need to watch out for them and they go man we did not bring bread This is a curious moment. It is almost as if when Jesus said leaven, they went, oh, we forgot the bread. And they just stopped hearing the rest of the saying. And you'll notice in verse 6, it was clearly on their mind. They get in the boat and they go, we didn't bring the supplies. Jesus is far more concerned about something else and says, They are teaching things that are false. Watch out, beware, stay away. It's like leaven is infiltrating. It is like corruption that will seep through your soul and ruin your faith. And they go, what are we going to eat when we get there? What are we going to eat? We forgot bread. Verse eight. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? It's just like, how did we get over here? (laughs) I'm trying to teach you a spiritual important thing. And you're over here discussing where's the bread. Verse nine, do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. (laughs) What a great response. Here's Jesus' short answer to that. If you think I'm concerned about bread, you forgot that I can just feed at any time. Do you not remember that there were 5,000 plus women and children and we were able to eat just fine with only five loaves and two fish? Or the 4,000 that if they had a Bible would go in Matthew 15, just a moment ago, we fed 4,000 with seven loaves. How is it that you're concerned about bread when I'm trying to teach you something important? And as much as we might scratch our head and just go, well, I can't believe that. How often are we distracted from the spiritual by the physical? Jesus is trying to make a great spiritual point, And they are distracted ultimately by the physical. And he noticed that he doesn't say there in verse eight. Oh, I'm I'm sorry that we we got our wires crossed. I know I said leaven and and I might have been confusing there. And I thought you thought I was talking about, you know, actual physical bread. I I, I meant spiritual bread. He, He doesn't say, I'm sorry you were confused. Notice what he says. Oh, you of little faith. Whoa, that got serious. This wasn't just a minor mix up about, oh, physical bread and spiritual bread or physical leaven and spiritual leaven. Jesus goes, you also don't understand. Notice he says it in verse nine. Do you not yet perceive? Are you also not able to see this? Do you not understand what I can do, who I am, what this is about Why are you stuck on the physical? But friends, that's so often the case that we lose our ability to receive the spiritual because we're so stuck with the physical. We're so worried about the mundane. We're so stuck in the schedule. We're missing out on the great teachings and blessings of God. Because here we are frittering our time away with mundane physical things. Jesus made that point very well. You might remember it over in Luke's account where you have this simple statement of between Mary and Martha where it tells us that while Mary was at the feet of Jesus for the teaching, Martha was distracted with much serving. We get distracted. We get caught up in the physical. Our brains are stuck on the meal we're going to eat. About what are we going to do today? What is our schedule like? And we miss the opportunities to hear the word of God. And I want us to see that he's pointing out how their physical concerns kept them from hearing Jesus correctly. It kept them from receiving this key teaching that they needed to hear at that moment because their mind was on physical things. They were distracted. They were not engaged. They're focused on everything else. And they're not allowing the time to be with Jesus, to be the time where they're just getting the physical out and really just tapping in to what Jesus has to say in that moment. All right. Three points for you. I don't usually do that, but it must be the perfect sermon. Three, three points, right? Three things for us from this section. Text number one. We can be blocked from seeing Jesus. Because we don't want to see. That's the first group that comes up. Here are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Very religious, very pious, very much caring about God, supposedly appear to be truth seekers. We want to see a sign from you, you know, prove yourself. And actually what happens is that they are blocked from seeing who Jesus is because they want Jesus to come to them on their terms, it's just got to be my terms. And so we think God sometimes should come to us in, in, in our terms. And I hope that you will see what Jesus is doing with this engagement with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Is he's trying to communicate this important point that you have everything you need. And all you need to do is investigate. I love the, his answer. You are able to look at the signs of the sky And draw necessary conclusions. Look at who I am and what I've done. And draw necessary conclusions about who I am. Uh, That's what he puts forward to them. You have the information. You have the signs you need. I have given you all you need to understand. Understand the sign of Jonah. That is the sign. The resurrection is the sign for faith and everything else builds on that, but it begins right there. Did he raise from the dead? If he did, it's time to follow. If you don't think he did, then you have to have some answers as to what happened, how did it happen, Where's the body? Why did this not all just flame out over a couple of days? Why is it continued to be the movement that changed the world? Number two, we can be blocked from seeing Jesus properly because we're listening to the wrong teachers. Jesus now gets in the boat, gets his disciples together, and says, You can't listen to everybody who claims to have spiritual teaching. You can't listen to everybody. It it sounds great to say, hey, we're all together in the same boat. Kumbaya, all of us spiritually. But he says you need to watch out. There is a big warning here that just because a teaching comes from a religious person or a spiritual person does not make that teaching true nor from God. We would all like to think. The people who stand up here in churches and in places all over the world are all 100% honest, all 100% truth seekers, and all trying to do exactly God's will. But Jesus is saying, no, you need to scrutinize. You need to watch out. You need to be careful who you're listening to. Uh, I, I've told you this before. It is the reason I teach the way I teach is so that it doesn't ever look like my words. But I take you right here and goes, it says it right here so that nothing's from me. It's all right here. It says it here. We do what it says. We must scrutinize every word. And friends, there is so much religious noise today. And we have to be aware of that. There, there is so much religious noise, so much religious teaching, so much spirituality that it requires an awful lot of effort on your part to discern, to weed through what is true and what is false, to know the word of God so that you can do that very thing. It doesn't matter if the majority of people like it, that there's not a vote on God's word. And if the, all the majority say, yeah, that must be true. It's not about a majority to God's word. It's not about how old it is. People can be wrong for a really long time. I find that fascinating to be like, well, that religious script's been a really long time. That doesn't matter. It <laughs> doesn't matter at all. What matters is, is it what the word of God says? And then number three, and perhaps more to the heart of what might be our situation today, we can be distracted and miss seeing Jesus and receiving his teachings and letting that transformation really take over our lives. Because of the distraction of circumstances, we are focused on bread. I I do want you to think about how we can lose so much time that can be spent listening to God, that can be spent praying, that can be spent meditating on spiritual things, that can be spent in seeking after God, that can be spent serving God. And yet we can focus so much of our time on being distracted by the physical. Things that have absolutely no spiritual bearing whatsoever that are ultimately wastes of time and useless. And we need to be careful that we are not allowing the mundane and the physical to eat up the critical time that we could be spending in engaging God. So often, what happens is we go, Oh man, it's been a really long day. I need to relax. So we do some mundane things to relax, fine, well, and good. But then we get to the end of the day and go, Well, you know, I was just so busy, I didn't have time for God. Really? Or did we just focus on the bread and not give our times to the spiritual? It's easy to just X out all the spiritual activities so that we can do the mundane. Say we had a full day and then God understands. We need to be very careful that we are not blocked from seeing our Lord properly because we are so caught up in the physical. And and as I end, I want you to just think about your own life and just ask yourself a couple of these questions. What in your life may be pulling you away from time, from listening to Jesus? What may you be worried about that's blocking you from hearing and enjoying the blessings of God? Think about this scene that's before us. The disciples are in the boat, and they're worried about not having bread when they get to the other side, and that caused them to miss out on key time with Jesus. Don't let your physical worries keep you from enjoying the time that you need to spend with your God. And as Jesus made the point very clear in verse 9 and in verse 10, Jesus is going to take care of your bread if you'll focus on him spiritually. Do you not yet perceive? I'll take care of your life. You just have a laser-like focus on serving me, on spending time in my teachings, and listening to what I have to say. I'll take care of the rest. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these strong words that your Son gave to his disciples. And Lord, I pray that we would always be honest seekers of you. Help us to be people with clean hearts and clean hands that are always seeking you with all of our heart, that desire you and want to hear what you have to say that we do not come to you as if you need to come on our terms, but that we come to you on your terms. Lord, give us that humility. We would come seeking you honestly and carefully wanting to hear your word. Lord, we pray that we would be careful listeners. Lord, we have so much religious noise and spiritual noise in our world. We pray that you would give us discernment, give us eyes to see, give us hearts to understand and ears to hear so that we would discern properly what is true and what is false. We pray that you would guard us spiritually as we go through this time and through this life. And Lord, we pray for forgiveness for the times that we are distracted. Forgive us for how often we allow our lives to fall into the worries of the mundane and the physical, and we forget to seek you spiritually. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater zeal and a greater strength to focus on you so that we can spend time in your word, that we'd spend more time in prayer, that we'd spend more time serving you and serving others. Help us to see what matters most as we make decisions about our time each day. Help us to make decisions that would be honoring of you, that would give you glory, and that would ultimately show that we have our faith in you and not in this world. We pray this through your son and our savior, Jesus. Amen. Sing invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus today, get the opportunity to become a follower of him, turning away from sin, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. We would love to help you. You can let us know afterward, talk to me afterward, or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.